Welcome to, uh, this is not a history lecture, and if you can hear my apartment neighbor like five doors down jamming out to his music, I'm really sorry. <laughs> hey, it's just a, it's our backing track. It is. We're um, providing great entertainment for our listeners. Yeah. Um, if we have any. <laughs> this is episode one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm Kat, or Catherine. And I'm Kaylee. And this is our show. Um, we're trying to hold it together because neither of us is ever thought we would do something like this. I'm very embarrassed to be here right now. Yeah, we're not going to ever call this a... Cover your ears, Kaylee. We're not going to call this a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's just not a lecture. Um, Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Which is why we created this show. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, episode one, got to do introductions, explanations, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So basically why we're here today is because both of us as... And I think this is important, female history majors. Yep. Noticed a lack of podcasts that were accessible. A lot of history podcasts are just lofty, serious, overproduced, have like <laughs> guns and stuff in the background, made by men. And that's not to say some of them aren't educational, but, yeah. but it doesn't appeal to everyone. And yeah. we want to make sure that. And they're extremely informative. Yeah. And I think, you know, while it's they're great and amazing and, like, really fun to listen to sometimes, they kind of add to this idea that history is serious and academic and not acceptable, accessible for the general public. And that's trying, kind of trying what we're trying to combat. Yeah. It can um, be fun and fast and on your way to work and yeah. history. I think that scares a lot of people away from the field of history, too. Mm-hmm. Like, they think that you have to be this like this person in yeah, an office. Yeah, this old man with <laughs> elbow patches on his tweed jacket, hey, which is an knock. iconic look, you know. Do not knock my elbow patch blazer. I aspire to be that man one day, but that's not what history is. You know, yeah. history is every day. It's everything it's has a history. Constantly and, learning. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and that's, you know, why we decided to call this this is not a history lecture because we really want to make it clear that we're not giving you a lecture over yeah. history. We're trying to have a conversation and hopefully more people can be involved. But right now it's just me and Kat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is our uh, first one. So we're just going to have to ease into this. If we're yeah. um, a little awkward. We apologize. We <laughs> promise we'll get better. We'll get better. Yeah, we'll get more comfortable. We also are recording on my phone. So hopefully if things go well, Maybe we might have some actual audio equipment in the future. We're sitting on my tiny little couch in my apartment without the AC on so that you don't hear it in the background. (laughs) But there's a lady who lives right above me with like 50 million wind chimes and a dog that barks like crazy. So I'm really sorry if that's like our interlude later. Yeah. So we can do, I guess, some background on ourselves. Mm -hmm. If you want to go first. Um, Oh, God. (laughs) Throw me under the bus. Well, like I said, my name's Catherine. Um, everyone calls me Kat. Um, uh, we both did our undergraduates in history. We're both in our master's right now. We've been friends for years. Six, five, six. Freshman We've year. We've known each other yeah. for at least. Yeah. Um, I kind of grew up loving history, and that's part of our subject for today's podcast is we're both doing something that got us into history or was one of our first real experiences. A pivotal moment yeah. in our history journey, which is the worst thing I've ever said, but <laughs> but it's fine. Anyone who's passionate about something knows it. Yeah, that's what we mean. <laughs> yeah, I've loved it since I was a kid. I watched like Liberty's Kids on PBS when I was younger, and like all that stuff when I was like in fourth or fifth grade. I 
oh, I always want to write books, but these boys I sat with at my like fifth grade group table, we decided to write a book on the Titanic. And let me put it out there. We did some illustrations and they were fire. We taped like multiple notebook pages together. Don't give me that look. Why are you just telling me? Do we need to have some pictures to go along with this episode, Kat? <laughs> if we ever do like a, a Twitter or something like that. Oh, wait, do we have a Twitter? We, we will soon. We will. We're going to set it up after yeah. this. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll post pictures if I can find it. But, it, you know, <laughs> it got me really interested in history. And ever since then, I've always like loved it. And I'm going to be honest, I got to college wanting to do like theater and... Uh, that didn't work out. I got rejected. It's okay. It's really hard to transfer into that department. Yeah. I started undecided. So I kind of was fighting against a brick wall there, but, um, I ended up taking just general classes and then I realized that I loved history outside of a high school setting. Um, and I got really into historic costuming. So like total nerd here, I make (laughs) historic clothing and (laughs) don't worry. We will be talking about that. Oh gosh. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do a whole episode on like corsets or something. I don't know. Um, be a good idea. Write that down. (laughs) Right. You know, eventually my topics list. Um, but yeah. And, uh, my undergrad, I kind of did a lot of our school doesn't, a lot of schools are losing their history programs, a lot of colleges, but that informal, well, it's still a formal classroom setting, but like high school presents history is very, the facts, like this happened on this day and this is what you need to know. And it's because of standardized testing, I think, but college really showed me that history is up for interpretation in so many ways. So I would kind of like, I really liked that. And I made my major history and I have zero regrets. I loved every minute of it. And what history did you focus on mainly? What were you most interested in? Yeah. So, um, genocide. Woohoo. Um, I did. Yeah. We're, we're a lot of fun here. We are. We really are. I do. I did most of my research in compared to genocide. My professors were really chill about that. They let me do like all my finals and stuff and final papers slightly adjusted so I could really like jump into that research. But that's also letting all know I come from that bias. So if we're talking about, the Holocaust or World War Two or even just like violence in general, I end up being a little bit more of a pacifist than some people are. So like, yeah, it's 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 been it started some debates before because like the atomic bombs, I'm not all on board. So that gets me in so much trouble every time I say it. Yeah, um, we do have. Um, don't worry, we'll get to our little disclaimer section because we know that discussing history, unfortunately, is so political, so political, and so unintentionally controversial mm-hmm. because everyone has opinions. Um, we'll get to that later. Yeah, we but have a whole bullet. Ju- that's just to say, <laughs> I come from a bias that's really focused on human rights and mm-hmm. I'm a little bit more of a pacifist than I think some people yeah. are when it comes to history. So that's me. Um, it's nice to meet you, Kat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, my name's Kaylee. I did my undergrad at the same school as Kat. Um, we're both from Texas. Um mm-hmm. And yeah, um, I don't know. I have a dog and a cat. Um, a dog's name is Kitty, and he does act like a cat. Yes. Um, my cat's name is Oppa. Yes, after the one and only. Just to show you my interest and my passions about life. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I don't know. Cat has like cool hobbies and stuff. I really don't. I like to decorate. I like to go thrifting. You're a great plant mom. I do have plants. I was looking at them today. Some of them are a little rough, so maybe not a great plant, Mom. Okay, you can see the dying <laughs> ivy in the window. It looks really pretty there. Oh, thank you. <laughs> to take it down because I knocked my window pane out to replace the cracked one. Well, nine this is months after I moved in. <laughs> um, yeah. So, in 
undergrad, I did was able to do some research on my own and I focused mainly on um, sex history and the history of prostitution. Yeah. Um, and go. I know that, you know, we're not, we're trying to avoid saying prostitution and we're saying sex workers. And um, I just want to say I'm very down with that. But in history, they are, are referred to as prostitutes in most of history and most of primary documents and everything. So I will do my best to say sex workers, but I'm sorry if a prostitute sits in there. I have mad respect for these women. And that is one of the bias that I come from is I might be a little more or a little, according to some people, (laughs) I might be a little too willing to forgive sex workers. I think it's a way for women to take control of their own agency, especially during history when women had little agency. Um, But... Unfortunately, we are in a conservative area, and not everyone agrees with me. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> but I just want to make that disclaimer. I would never talk down about any of the women I ever talk about, because I will be talking about a lot of sex history and stuff like that, because that's what I'm mainly interested in. Not today. We're, like, completely left of that today. Yeah, we're going the opposite <laughs> direction. Um, but yeah, that's me. Um, also, my master's, same program as Kat, because we can just never get rid of each other. Yeah. We're just <laughs> um, stuck now. Yeah. That's how long this podcast is going to like go on for. It could be one episode. It could be a million. But... We could literally just end up moving in together because <laughs> we're like both dead set on adopting dogs and keeping plants. So we may Well, we can just... because Kat's allergic to cats, which is ironic. <laughs> I know. I don't know. We, we at least happened. might be seeing a lot of each other. Yeah. <laughs> for the rest of our lives, it's inevitable. Oh. <laughs> So, yeah, that's me. That um, being said, biases in the South, since we're already on that topic. Um, I I don't know what you... Well, we talked about this, Kaylee. But, like, I come from a pretty... Like, a, a Christian household in the South. Um, and I've worked really hard to overcome a lot of... Even though my parents did a really good job trying to teach me, like, acceptance and everything. There's just some stuff that being in the South as a kid kind of gets mushed into you and I've worked really hard to overcome it, but I am also, no, I am not perfect and I'm still unlearning some of those things. I, I think I'm pretty chill, um, compared to the area of Texas where some people really think I'm too liberal. I've gotten a lot of comments on that. So, um, yeah, no, we definitely have biases. We also did go to mm -hmm. a more conservative institution. Um, so that is definitely leading into our bias. Also, ironically, that, though, we were in that program that made us really not <laughs> not conservative. And probably radicalized us <laughs> just more, a little bit. More than a little bit, I'd say. Yeah, we're, we're chill. Um, we found our niche. Let's just say that. Yeah. Um, we found our space in mm-hmm. this university. But um, just to mention, because our program was heavily, heavily, heavily biased towards um, Western history. Uh, we only yeah. have one Asian history professor, mm-hmm. uh, one Middle Eastern professor, and I think he retired like our senior year. Yeah. Uh, we did have one African history professor, but she got a better job, so we don't blame her for leaving. Yeah, she was a good teacher, though. I like. Yeah, her. she was great. Um, mad respect for that woman. Mm-hmm. She always dressed so well, but <sighs> <laughs> but she got a better job. UCLA. I mean, who could turn that down? Yeah. <laughs> I think it was a tenured. I don't know. Too. All I know is that woman was completely amazing, and mm-hmm. I loved her class. Um, so we are speaking from that bias, but that's part of why we wanted to create the show, was to explore parts of history that we have always been curious about, 
and learn about them and then share them with other people because um, we won't just want to be European. I mean, obviously it'll be a lot of European just because that's what we know more, more most of. But as we kind of branch out, we hope to eventually, you know, kind of have a really broad. Yeah. Um, and as as far as that goes right now, you know, we're two white women, but we really, really, really want to make it a point to if this does well to have diverse voices mm-hmm. on our show and we would love 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 to be able to have like guests come in and share a story that they find really interesting in history that are not white women mm-hmm. <laughs> um and we're also our master's program is actually museum studies where we both kind of made that jump and if y'all are interested in that and stuff like we would love to do a couple episodes about how history is more than just teaching in a i mean mad respect for teachers i oh, I, I would love they to be do a the teacher. lord's work they yeah. are iconic yeah. they do um but there are other venues to take a history degree into museums public history etc and we would love to talk to y'all a little bit about that too and maybe bring in a couple speakers just to kind of expand the field of what people consider history leading into because yeah. there's a lot of options that people don't see mm-hmm. and we're still kind of working on Again, this is all up in the air. We have no idea what's going to happen with this. But I think we're both thinking positively. Yes. I think we'll be fine either way. This is just something fun. (laughs) But we hope that maybe one day we can get to a point where we can have, like, a special or two on Mm -hmm. informal education, on interpretation, on all of those things. Mm -hmm. And we try our best to – well, we will try our best to bring – if we bring in people, to bring them from outside of our circle because – there's a reason that you don't get your undergrad and graduate in the same subject from the same university. Like, if we were doing our master's in history, there would be no staying in the same school we did our undergrad because part of the job of a graduate degree is to really, like, evolve and shape and add to your understanding. And you can't do that with the same professors for six years because Mm -hmm. then you're just relearning their opinions. So we acknowledge the two of us, between the two of us, we have similar opinions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And with that, with that, This is our big, big, big disclaimer. Yes. I touched on it earlier, but history is political. There's no way to get around it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely no way. Um, There's no way to be 100% correct. Post on social media about (laughs) history and you will soon learn this if you didn't already. Kat does have a TikTok. (laughs) She's learned several lessons about dealing with commenters. Um... (laughs) But, um, yeah, so we we just want to put it out there that we're not perfect. I mean, we're not, you know, working academics. We haven't studied this subject for 30 years. We're just two people that care a lot about history and want other people to care more about it. And if you think that history professors are experts in all of history, You're think so again. Like, like, professors specialize in one, like, it can be a big topic, but if you ask, like, a historian of the Civil War about um, the Herrero genocide. They're not going to, they might not even know what you're talking about. Like mm-hmm. that concept that as a historian, you have to know everything is super overbearing and it scares people off. Yeah. You, most history historians just know one thing really well. Yeah. And even, you know, you could have two historians who are studying the exact same topic, mm-hmm. but they'll completely disagree. Yeah. Because we are interpreters we can't go back then and ask, hey, when did this happen? And, you know, those disagreements can be as small as, um, I don't know, what year something happened mm-hmm. in, to as large as, like, who was right in this war that lasted mm-hmm. 10 years? Was this ethical? Was, was this? this yeah. yeah. And so these are the questions that 
you know, will come up. And we know that not everyone who listens to us are going to have the same opinion. Mm-hmm. And we're willing to have conversations. We just ask that everyone be respectful. Yeah. Um, because we are learning too. And we want to make that very clear. We're not perfect. I mean, most of these things, just because of the time that we have, um, you know, I think we're trying to aim for like 30 minutes each. Yeah. Um, we can't do like deep, deep dives yeah, <laughs> and read like be... several academic tomes. On. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, today might be even less because we're having to pull time for our disclaimers and stuff. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and it, like I said earlier, we're both from the South and sometimes it takes new modern ideas a little longer to get to us. We both stay pretty in tune on social media, so we're <laughs> yeah. like better about it, but like words and stuff over time change um politically correct terms change so if we ever say anything on here and you're like hey i'm part of this community and i don't like that please let us know once we get our twitter up and running we'll let you we'll announce that like we are more than happy to correct ourselves and say like oh okay yes like yeah. Uh, terms for different communities all that we are more than happy and we will yeah. happily um release a mm-hmm. um re- what is the thing? Martin Luther had to do it. Recant. Recant. Um, <laughs> I just think of the Luther I movie. Like, I watched that. Martin Luther. <laughs> I watched that so many times as a kid because I'm Lutheran. Um, <laughs> yeah, so like, we're happy to publicly say, like, we're sorry we did not realize that. It, and we do try our best, but mm-hmm. things do slip by us sometimes. Yeah. And we know that we're going to make mistakes just on the facts. Um, yeah. Of, you know, history is a jumbled mess. And sorting through... Unless it's, like, an isolated event. Yeah. Is really hard to do. And even then, different research sources sometimes will tell you entirely different things. And they're both, like, published academic sources. So there's... Peer-reviewed. So we're we're really trying, but... um, If if you have a huge (laughs) problem with how we're doing it or something, you don't have to listen. Like... Yeah. We invite you to not listen to us. Don't think think you have to do turn this off right now (laughs) because we're both terribly You probably already hate us. (laughs) Um, I hate us for doing this. It's so... I feel pretentious that the whole point of this was to make history not I know. pretentious. Uh, it's such... Uh, don't think about it. Don't think about it. I'm grappling in my soul. It's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so... We just want to really make it clear that we're open to having a dialogue with people. Mm-hmm. And even if, you know, if y'all want to say, hey, that happened in this place, not this place. Or, hey, that happened in this year, not this year we'll come on here and be like, hey, sorry, last episode, got this detail yeah. wrong. Yeah, correction corner. No like problem. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, we will probably have encountered that a lot, and mm-hmm. we're open to that. Um, but yeah, I think really... We've got inherent bias, and we will acknowledge that, and with that... Um, I guess we're... Going. I guess we're starting. Um, I think Kat should go first. <laughs> I hate you. Okay. Um, well, since it's our first episode, I was going to do the one that really got me into history. Like I said earlier... The Titanic. Um, yeah, I, I had a weird obsession with disasters through my life. Maybe that's why I'm, like, obsessed also with the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. And I studied genocide and stuff because I just... Maybe it's because my life is a complete, utter disaster. And that's, like, why... It helps distract. Yeah, it really, <laughs> it really does. So, yeah. Um, here we go with the Titanic. The RMS Titanic. The White Star Line. The Royal Mail Ship is what RMS stands for. Um, we were actually in class this week, and one of our uh, teachers, professors, told us that the Titanic exhibit, whenever it goes around, is like a blockbuster hit. So I'm also hoping that yeah. you guys are interested in this. <laughs> <laughs> 
there's a big, big traveling Titanic exhibit that mm-hmm. a lot of museums have hosted, including the one that our program was attached to. Mm-hmm. And it did really well while I was yeah. here. And um, there's that huge, I think, it's, is it Florida or something where there's that huge Titanic museum and it's got oh, like I an interactive know. exhibit and they have like, they have like, it's so cool. They have an exhibit, but it's like miniature replicas of the Titanic and it's on a tilt so you can like oh. see like how long you'd be able to stand on the deck while it's at different degrees oh, like it's, I'll I find did. it maybe I saw a TikTok about that probably I'm gonna be honest right now never even seen the movie so I Haley no nothing other than Jack could have gotten on that door frame and he did not have to die okay <laughs> um, it was a weight thing not a, listen, I'll, listen, I'll die on listen, the hill listen my mom was like eight months pregnant with me went to see that movie she's like I missed half of it because I was in the bathroom oh. and I was like why did you go see a movie about water when you were eight months pregnant <laughs> that was her choice she, she made but um, anyway well, continue <laughs> I'll find the name of that museum and I'll talk about it next week yeah. or I'll mention it or something but so if we set the scene for y'all, because personally, it's easier for me to visualize if I set the scene. If you've seen... Sorry about that. Uh, my mom called. <laughs> so that takes precedence. Sorry. <laughs> Continue. Mom, moms always take precedence. Yes. <laughs> um, but yes, setting the scene. Um, oh, gosh. I better not choke and die. Um, if you've seen the beginning of Downton Abbey, this is not a spoiler because it's literally like the first 30 seconds um they open with that so think that kind of style that vibe of manner politics etc etc and if you've seen the movie obviously you know about the titanic that iconic opening shot of rose looking over her hat kate gonna kill me if i just reenact the movie so yes, we're gonna am. yeah Please don't. um <laughs> again we will be here for three hours literally if you do that we would be yes um <laughs> so anyway April 10th is the, April 10th, 1912 is the morning that everyone boards the ship. Um, it started in England, Southampton, England. It was headed to New York. Um, at the end of the day, this incident killed 1,500 people. This thing was, devi- the Titanic itself was designed for comfort and speed. The whole industry was getting super competitive. It wasn't just like a cruise thing. It was also a travel thing. So uh, different classes went aboard for different reasons. There are a lot of people on it that were lower income and just trying to get to America. Others, it was a pleasure cruise. It was, let's ride this ship that is supposed to be magnificent and above all. And it was really posh and bougie. Um, the second class accommodations on this ship were probably about the equivalent of a first class on other ships. Mm-hmm. And they were all designed on separate decks so that third class still had relative comfort it wasn't like total steerage i mean it was not nice necessarily by our standards but it wasn't as bad as other ships listen modern days cruise ships oof you basically had a broom covered so anything's better than that true (laughs) i mean i would just sleep on the deck if i could but you know that's me um but there were nine decks total on this thing it was massive and of course most of us know the whole unsinkable ship thing the 16 watertight compartments that were supposed to be able to be closed individually, like shut, um, and they were in the hull so that if something went wrong in theory, you know, you could just close them off and stop the flooding. And that's where it got its name, the unsinkable ship. But there's a slight design flaw because they weren't capped on the top. So each of these compartments was open at the top. So they thought that like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. Geniuses. Um, yeah, so they thought, you know, four of these could be filled up and we could shut them and the water won't push back. But the problem eventually with this thing was that so many of them got damaged at once and the water made it tilt 
on its side so that the water went over the tops mm. of these compartments and into the next one too fast for them to actually be able to think of anything. And there's a lot of reasons they think the ship sank. Um, the concept of an event cascade, its I think it was that's from a computer term, but I've heard it used in history a few times when literally everything goes wrong. It's like Murphy's Law, mm-hmm. but each issue causes another issue. Yeah. Um, Doesn't it always? <laughs> right? Um, but the problem was, on this night, they were in an area that was known to be filled with icebergs. Um, Edward J. Smith... They, so what, what date was the... So they got on the ship April 12th. The 10th. The 10th. The 10th, yeah. yeah. And they're doing their dandy thing, and... Mm-hmm. Um, it sank over midnight, so fourteenth, fifteenth. Oh, okay. so they had a couple days on the boat. Before. Yeah, okay. yeah, they were they were in that like icy patch towards the middle, kind mm-hmm. of um, a little closer to New York actually. But mm-hmm. the captain, I don't know why. I guess because of the icebergs, I always thought that it was like by Antarctica in my like child <laughs> brain when I learned about this. Even though I knew it was like from England to New York, I was like, yeah, they're down there. That makes yeah, sense. They're way down, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, so the captain, uh, knew about this, so he kind of was like, hey, let's go south, let's, like, let's go around the worst of it, but he kept going at about 22 knots of speed, which is what we would call, eh, 25 miles per hour is, which isn't a lot, but if you're gonna hit a iceberg full front, that's, mm. <laughs> um, so they even got a message from another ship, I think it's called the Misaba. Um, the wireless radio communicators were running messages mostly to passengers. Just, you know, it was bougie. They could provide that service. But about 940, the Saba sent them a message and they were like, hey, there's some ice fields ahead of you. We're going through them right now. Just be careful. Somehow that message never got to the bridge. Mm. First problem with event cascade. We're already going to just keep a tally of things that go wrong this night. Um, (sighs) Um, other boats were in the same route, too. The Californian had stopped not far ahead because they were blocked with ice, like completely blocked. They just stopped. And they tried to warn Titanic as well. 11.40, an iceberg was spotted, and the command went up to the bridge. But this is weird. This is a weird one. I don't... I've heard accounts of this multiple places, but unlike Pirates of the Caribbean, where Elizabeth Swan is like, hard to starboard! <laughs> Apparently, they didn't know what that meant. Um, some accounts say that the crew mixed up their directions. It should have sent them veering left. But some speculations from older survivors in the crew said that they had might have accidentally messed up and thrown the ship to the right. Mm. Listen, right into I, the friggin' iceberg. <laughs> Listen, I don't know what any of those words mean, and I'm also not a pirate, and who could match Elizabeth Swan? So <sighs> no I, I can't really fault them for that. True, true. Um, if she was on board, she would have taken care of it. Well, this one would have saved the Titanic, guys. <laughs> she literally would have. Um, uh, so, yeah, by the time they corrected, some people think that they were just already re- way too close to the iceberg. Um, some crew members even said that they did throw the engine in reverse, but just forced the turn into the iceberg even harder. Um, modern speculations, some think that the ship might have survived if they'd actually tightened the iceberg head on, that it would have mm. been able to do less damage or yeah. just the physics of it. I'm not a physics person, obviously. I'm a history person. Never <laughs> put me in a math class. Um, but it scraped open up to five parts of that hole, and it just tipped, oh. forced the water over the sides of the compartments, and they, I think they pretty quickly knew what was going on. Yeah. Um, at 1220, 
Smith told them to send signals to the Carpathia. Uh, this is another ship. I believe it was also a White Star Line ship. I'm not 100% sure. Don't quote mm-hmm. me. I say on a history podcast where we're supposed to have facts. Um, where you can pull audio quotes from us. True, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carpathia was nearby, but they are about 58 miles away in the ice fields. They couldn't just yeet over and mm. help out. Olympic was nearby as well. Um, they could literally see the ship, but they couldn't make contact with them. Ooh. Um, Californian was close as well, but the wireless was off. So mm. eventually they did get desperate and try to send flares and everything. But by that time it was, yeah. they were too far and they couldn't make it back through. Um, but no one, none of the passengers at first knew how bad this was because there's literally accounts of people, you know, the iceberg was huge. We're like, t- like bigger than the ship height wise. Okay, yeah. And so it broke off as they made impact and pieces of it fell onto the deck there were kids playing soccer with shards of ice from the iceberg on the mm. deck, not realizing what had happened. Um, people saw it happen. They were on the deck. They were just like, oh, the unsinkable ship bumped something. We're fine. Yeah. Um, don't get lost in the hype, guys. Yeah, don't, <laughs> don't give in to advertising. If your gut says something's wrong. Uh. The ship had 20 lifeboats, which could save about 1,178 people. But on board, they had about 3,300 when you include the crew. Um, big w- boat. Yeah, big boat. Um, and life drills, life, lifeboat drills were not a thing at this point. I went on a cruise. It's my bougie claim. I went on a cruise once when I was a kid. My grandparents paid for it. Um, and I remember the lifeboat drill and thinking, if this is the Titanic, I would have survived. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they didn't have any kind of drills back then. They, didn't. they were just free-balling life. They were just they were chilling. <laughs> Um, but this crew, like the crew especially started to realize much faster than the people. And they just started throwing people into the boats and putting them in the water without being full. So they were losing massive capacity. Mm -hmm. Like you, they could have saved a lot more people. Um, they had tested these lifeboats, but they were like on pulleys to lower them into the water. And they were, some of the crew was scared that the weight capacity wouldn't hold. So they, they Mm -hmm. released some early without, um, Without testing, with what am I saying? The, yeah, without the max weight. Yeah, they were nervous yeah. about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was supposed to be a lifeboat drill. Um, I don't know why they didn't do it. I don't know why they canceled it. Maybe Probably they thought it was unsinkable, it was and they were 18, 14, 12, 18, 19. Nice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Started off the first <laughs> and wrong freaking century. Hey, it's fine. 19, 14, 12. 12. <laughs> this is how little I know about the Titanic. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming that they were just like, it's unsinkable. We've got a lot of first class passengers, but I'm not really sure what their mentality is. They probably was. were like, oh, that's. That's for other ships. That's for other, not our high class vessel. We're not like other ships. We're, we're cool <laughs> ships. <laughs> we don't have to worry, don't worry about that. We're unsinkable. Yeah. Yeah, and they not filling up the lifeboats was probably one of the biggest. Mm. They they caught a lot of <clears throat> for that. And also, if I cuss at some point, I'm sorry. Uh, just oh, putting it out there. Um, I will probably accidentally let some words slip. Listen, we've already talked about sex history, so I think it's fair game. You're right. You're <laughs> so right. Just know, I'm sorry, guys, if y'all hear me cuss. Um, it just happens sometimes. Um uh, by the end of this, by the end of the morning, when the other ships did come to get the survivors, only 705, I think one report said 712 people were going to be pulled alive from that ship out of the mm. 3,300 on there. Um, 
And this is that whole story of the musicians going down with a ship playing Nearer My God to mm-hmm. Be, that really iconic, um, that iconic moment. But by 2 a.m., the stern was just sticking out of the water. The front was, or no, the stern was out of the water, actually the back, and the propellers towards the bottom were, like, in the air. You could mm-hmm. see the ship going under. And that museum we were talking about uh, that has the recreated steep slant at the deck that you can try to pull up, like, run up, mm-hmm. it's not possible. Like, you think you can hang on or something, but oh my gosh, yeah. I have no arm strength, so yeah. I would be you in the water. Slid. And let's talk about the fact that women's shoes especially had no grip to them. Mm-hmm. Um, Victorian and Edwardian boots and stuff, the shoes at this time, like, people were, people were doomed. Um, and there are, like I said, the event cascade and factors, it was just the perfect storm of issues. Um, some people said that Smith was trying to cross the passage faster than the Olympic, who was the kind of older sister of the ship. And he knew it wasn't that safe to go that fast, but he wanted to prove a point that the Titanic mm. was just the best in the sea. Yeah. And there are accounts that also, there were supposed to be binoculars in the crow's nest, and there weren't that night. Um, that they're in a box, and the water was calm. It might have been a little foggy. And the man up in the crow's nest, they're supposed to have binoculars, but they're in this box. And the man who had the key to that box apparently, for some reason, didn't get on board with the rest of the crew. They didn't have access to the binoculars. Wow. So from the beginning, it was a sunken ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were they were not playing themselves in the right direction. Yeah. And there's also speculation that the rivets used in the hull were actually a lower grade than they were supposed to, and they weren't strong enough when the iceberg hit. Mm. So lots, and that's the hard part, too, with... His preservation of objects like this, Bob Ballard um, found the Titanic in 2000, I don't know when it was, Um, but it's corroded. And down that deep, there's not going to be any organic matter. So paper, bodies, um, Mm -hmm. textiles and clothing are not going to survive very well because things in the bottom of the ocean eat that. Um, And bringing something that covered in rust up to the surface will actually corrode it faster. Yeah. Um, A&M, Texas, I believe, has a marine preservation um, course. And, like, they... Because they saved the Lobel. Um, mm-hmm. They re- restored that or preserved it best they could. But a lot of people have talked about trying to learn more about the Titanic, but it's almost impossible to get down there. Yeah. And without bringing it to the surface, it's really hard to definitively know these were the things that did it. Yeah. And, of course, you need to have, like, official scuba training and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And, like, how many of, like you know, professionals that would know, like, oh, this is what caused it, or, yeah. like, certified in scuba diving. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it that seems deep, like kind of an involved process. I think that deep, where it sank, you can't even get out of the submarine. You yeah. just have to go in by, like, little robotic worry. Zoom, zoom, thing. I also apologize for any weird audio sounds I make on these recordings. I I use a lot of onomatopoeia. <laughs> yeah, we don't have um, fancy uh, bullet sounds, but we do have cat's mouth. <laughs> pew, pew. Which I think is pretty much the same. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna use it. We're gonna utilize it to the best of our abilities. Um, by the time by two o'clock, in that back of the ship was out of the water. There were only three collapsible lifeboats left, and women and children. It's I think it's still kind of a generally accepted thing that women and children go first. Mm-hmm. But there there were not many women and children on the boats yet, um, especially third class. If you've seen the movie, you can see the panic in the lower decks, and it is a maze. It was a maze down there. And, of course, the lower decks are the ones that are going to fill up first. Um, mm-hmm. So poorer people, families, um, 
immigrants, etc. Um, but by two o'clock in the morning, a lot of those people were already trapped in their rooms or in the hallways and couldn't get out. In the movie, mm-hmm. there's that famous scene with the gates closed and and Jack and Rose are stuck and they can't get out and everything. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. that that chaos is pretty accurate. It is it is accurate. A lot of people. Yeah, I couldn't even imagine. Knew. Yeah. Where they were going to go. Um, uh, Smith, at that point, told the crew every man for himself. Um, of course, there are heroes in every story. Like I said, that, that orchestra that played near My God to Thee until the end. There's a telegraph operator, Jack Phillips. Um, even after Smith told him, get out, we're going under every man for himself, he stayed and sent out QCD, or CQD, which was the standard um, code for distress. And they actually like made a joke earlier in the night that they should try SOS, which was a new code that the Germans had come up with. Um, but he, Jack Phillips had a kind of associate working with him, Harold Bride, and he got out on one of the last boats. He survived and he used his story for years to come. And he always said, I suddenly felt a great reverence to see him, talking about Jack Phillips, standing there, sticking to his work while everybody else was raging about. And he went down with the ship, um, Jack Phillips did, but he stayed to the very last minute trying to get help for everyone. So in every history, there's usually some hero that kind of gets unsung. So I'd like to pay homage to him for a second there. Um, <laughs> what a badass. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. They were losing power, though, and other ships trying to figure, were trying to figure it out. Um, but other ships were like, this is unsinkable. There's no way. There, it's a joke. It's a prank. It's a miscommunication, and they didn't take it seriously. But by 2.18, the Titanic had lost full power 18 minutes later. Um, the stress on the midsection of the ship just cracked. And the back is to be out of the water, so if you can imagine, it's already full. The front is full. Yeah. So by the time it cracks down the middle... Um, That's insane. Yeah. To think of something that big just... Just breaking. Yeah. Yeah. And the front is what got the damage, which is why it filled up first and tipped. Mm-hmm. But the front was so full of water that it it just sank. It went yeah. down the bottom of the ocean so fast. Um, it took, if it tells you where in the ocean they were, the, like we know less about the ocean than we do the surface of the moon, which is terrifying to me. <laughs> but it took six minutes and 30 miles, at 30 miles per hour, for the front to hit the bottom of the ocean. Wow. So, ugh, that freaks me out thinking about yeah, that deep of the that's ocean. Insane. Like, I'm terrified of drowning, but that's a whole different level. Um, The back, the stern, it kind of bobbed for a second, according to accounts, before it fell back flat into the water, and it filled up from the broken section in the front, Mm -hmm. uh, which then turned it vertical again. Mm -hmm. Um, But at 2.22 minutes later-ish, it went under. But the water pressure from going front down built up, and it actually exploded as it sank. Like, parts of Whoa. it exploded. That's how heavy it was and how much yeah. air pressure it forced. And they were still, I believe they were still using coal in the engines at that yeah. at this time in history. Yeah. So, volatile explosions. Ugh. And those workers down in the workrooms with the coal and everything, they didn't have a chance. They no. they were next yeah. to the compartments. And it, they just, ugh. Yeah. Um, but a lot of those lifeboats, they rowed outwards because they knew that when the ship was going under, it would create kind of like a 
a whirlpool with mm, it as, and thank goodness sense. they did yeah which is why a lot of passengers they think could have some people say that more passengers could have survived they just swam out like taking things like doors or chairs mm-hmm. like they tables etc and yeah. just but it, it did suck everything in around That's it for insane. a few seconds yeah um, and these boats, the people on them were so scared that they would be swamped full of people trying to get on that they would sink. And so these rowboats, these lifeboats, didn't go back at first. They mm-hmm. waited a really long time after the ship went under. And um, of course, you know, iceberg-filled water. Yeah. The water temperature is it's not freezing. livable. Yeah. Um, hypothermia. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But... These boats that had rolled, rode out for the whirlpool, stayed out for a while so that they wouldn't get swamped by survivors. Um, eventually, they went back and a few, some of them, I should say, went back to go look to see if anyone had survived. Um, when they went back, they found that most died from exposure, which is just old-fashioned terms for hypothermia. <laughs> um, That's been a lot of old-fashioned terms yeah. in our stories. <laughs> yeah. All in all, more than... Uh, no, 50, yeah, 1,500 were dead. Um, the crew lost 700, most probably in the bottom rooms. Yeah. Third class in the bottoms de- bottom decks were hit the hardest. Um, and that's something I think we should acknowledge is that even mm-hmm. for lower class people who couldn't get out as fast, the numbers are not proportional to, you know, who had access to, yeah. um, to safety. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah which is... Awful. Only 174 survived out of over 700 people from the third class. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, And many of these women didn't leave their husbands. Like, there are multiple accounts of these Mm -hmm. women saying, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm staying with him. Um, And by the time most of the third class got up to the decks, the boats were gone. So they knew a lot of the time that they were, they were gone. Um, The Carpathia was the closest by. And it took until 3.30, about an hour later, for that for them to be able to get close enough. Um, by 8.30 the next morning, the Californian had also arrived. And they finally turned on the radio about three hours before that. They had turned it mm. off for the night. And, of course, there were flares going off, which was, I believe, how the Carpathia eventually realized what was going on. Yeah. Um, and they realized I'm so it glad we just, live in a modern era. I know. Someone would have been like, hey, this is my this is my live hey. feed. We're sinking. Someone can send help. I do live. Um. <laughs> oh, just watch. Like, yeah. Um, but I think there were accounts at first of them wondering if the flares were fireworks in celebration and um, not realizing. Like, yeah. the whole mess, guys. This whole thing. And that's the sad thing about tragedies is a lot of time they were preventable. Yeah. I know at some point I'm going to talk about the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire because that was also really important to me as a kid. But that thing, too, should have been so preventable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, you know, how we learn and make things better in history is we learn from our mistakes and we try to fix them. Mm-hmm. Some of the very ultra-wealthy first class did die. Some some of them were really... The movie kind of portrays this differently. You know, Cal is like, I have a secret boat and I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna get off and be safe even though I'm a man and all the women and children, there are women and children still on board and he leaves, he's like, I'm going to leave Jack to die and all that stuff. But... A lot of them weren't willing to get into the boats while there was, were still women and children on board in real life. Um, a couple first-class men were actually shamed eventually for getting on the boats while there were still women and children. And once they survived and others didn't, they actually, like, 
got a lot of crap for it when they came back mm. to the states and i mean understandable yeah i couldn't even imagine stuff like survivor skill like yeah oh my gosh I, no i couldn't um especially if added, you make it out and your husband doesn't or something yeah or what the added like oh i was expected to give up my seat for yeah and and you know i mean it's, no one wants it's to die notable but no one wants to die yeah. exactly it's it's awful and if, i mean the first people off you can imagine they were like you know, like, there's no one else here. It's kind of, yeah. it's like the COVID vaccine. Yeah. You know, like, they, they're limited. If After they're open, they can only last for, like, 12 hours. So if they're just sitting around and no one's going to use them, you jump in. You, yeah, you exactly. Yeah. You jump in. Mm-hmm. And so I think that had to be something that they dealt with for mm-hmm. the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. But there, I mean, there are heroes out of this story. Um, uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown has a whole Broadway musical about her, but she... She, like, took hold of her lifeboat, and she directed them and, and tried to help, and she was a very high-class lady. Um, and there are, there's just a lot of unsung heroes that, unfortunately, I don't get to talk about because time. <laughs> there, could, there could be entire movies on these people. Um, but out of the wealthy first-class men that died, there were, like, big names. And I'm talking, like, first-class, first-class on this boat. Um, department store owners, like, internationally recognized men. Like, they, they yeah. went down with the ship. Well, it was a big, fancy ship, of course. I know. Mm-hmm. Made in voyage. Yep. Um, but, like I said earlier, good thing... It's hard to say good things come out of this, but learning and experiences come out of this. Um, nothing good about people dying, but now safety guidelines require lifeboats on every ship, and they have to have enough for crew, um, passengers, everything. As they should. Mm-hmm. And the newspapers and stuff actually reported some stuff on... The fact that third class was below decks and lost most of their people. So it brought mm-hmm. a lot of classism conversation to the top of the line for people, which yeah. really needed to happen at this time. Yeah. We're had what Great Depression stock market crashed in 1918. 1929. Nine. Nine. 1929. Damn, I was off there. See, yeah. guys, this is why you don't give me. Listen, yeah. listen. We're helping okay. each other out. Yeah. Between the two of us, we'll know. Yeah. <laughs> But classism was definitely an issue at this point. Oh, um, for sure. And it was it was stratifying, kind of mm-hmm. like we see now. Anyway, um, we'll get on that later. Inspired uh, <laughs> um, movies, Broadway shows, um, and it has inspired a lot of conversation within museum circles too about not just the efficacy of removing something from the ocean that's going to deteriorate faster, but also not removing graves there is a huge issue mm. of grave removal in mu- in museum circles and artifacts and stuff like you would be shocked at how many unmarked graves how many graveyard if it's an old graveyard and the tombstones are in a row but it's like from the 1600s or 1700s it's actually odds are those stones aren't marking bodies they get moved a lot uh, especially in that period, goats used to eat the grass, but when they had to use lawnmowers, they just shuffled a lot of gravestones around without moving the bodies. So fun fact, you can blame the goats for that. Um, that's my fun fact for the day. <laughs> goats caused the removal of graves. Anyway, um, but uh, it is a real controversy that you don't you don't mess with people's graves. Yeah. It, you And that was a watery grave for Yeah, that's people. true. Yeah. Um, and... Like I said, theories keep bouncing around. The recent theories are say that there was a fire in the hole because of the coal that was down there that might have weakened the metal and made it easier for the iceberg to cut through. Experts found photos of the ship leaving the shipyard, and it had 30 feet of black markings along the edge of the hole, 
where it had been charred, and it was exactly where they think the iceberg, or where the iceberg oh, hit. Um, yeah. uh, and apparently people knew about this, and the 12 men it took, uh, they, they, like, saw it and stuff. They just didn't see the photos or have evidence of it until recently, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. It just got buried. Yeah. You know, this is that famous, famous photo, the last photo of the Titanic out to sea, but... That's the stuff that gets sensationalized, and you don't realize there yeah. are other photos that mm-hmm. are better quality and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, yeah, that fire supposedly started 10 days before that night, and a survivor working in the area said that it was burning in the coal while the ship was going. Like, this fire was not out <laughs> when this ship was going. Oh, um, so would they have ever made it to New York? <laughs> they were apparently, according to accounts, they were just thinking that when they docked in New York, they would need the New York Fire Department because they couldn't get the coal yeah. to stop burning. I guess that's the only thing they could do. I yeah. mean, coal's whole point is to burn, so, like... It was just smoldering slowly, yeah. like... Wow. I, I, I never knew that. I never heard that in my whole yeah. life, so I don't know if that's a recent theory, or maybe it's a niche theory, or what, but mm-hmm. um, they also think that might... That maybe the captain knew about that fire below decks, and that's why he was going so fast, is because he was like, oh. we have to get to New York before this gets worse, yeah. before it starts, like exploding a little bit yeah which might actually be a problem but there are like some really interesting theories and like i said we're never gonna know 100 of the answers because at this point the ship is deteriorating it mm. it's not it's like the two pieces are actually surprisingly close in my opinion based on the six minutes in extreme distance to the bottom of the ocean they could have floated very far away from each yeah. other but they're actually like relatively close wow so yeah that's the titanic and it just wow yeah fun facts um if y'all have any like interesting theories about why it sank or the event cascade or what might have contributed yeah like, just stuff we haven't mentioned yeah, yeah tweet at us or something we'll get that we, twitter started yeah oh it'll be up by the time this comes out but um we'll, and we'll mention like social media handles um, yeah and all that stuff at the end of the episode but um yeah, we'd love to hear it because that's just one of those... I mean, it's a mystery, but it's also not a mystery. Yeah. Like, it's not mysterious and like, ooh, what happened to it? It's like, no, something... Very clearly things went wrong. Yeah. Well, we're all, undeniably. And we're always learning things like the whole Anastasia thing or people who a few years ago were like, we found her skull again. She was yeah. dead the whole time. And so many theories, so many ideas. I just hit a wall. Yeah. Sorry if that made a sound. But <laughs> yeah, that's the Titanic. Wow. That was awesome. Thanks. Good job. Uh, I was a little nervous. So next First time, one done. Wait, high five. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I'll get more comfortable doing that. I'll try to yeah. suspend the... <laughs> yeah. Oof. And after a short stretch break, we are back with part two of our first episode of This Is Not A History Lecture. All right. Well, I guess it means it's my turn. <laughs> Um, after whatever that was. <laughs> <laughs> that was my attempt at a newscaster voice, but I think it was more of like a Disney World announcing voice. I've never been to Disney World, so I'll take the word for that. I went once, and I want to go again and see Harry Potter World. That's universal, ma'am. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually really glad I went first now, because now I just get to sit back and enjoy and mess with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I'm the procrastinator here, so I will be going second. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, so like cats, um, this is a story that I guess has significance to me in my life, history-wise, but not in the same way that cats did. Cat, like, grew up, like she said, she, like, grew up loving history. I grew up not hating history, but just kind of being neutral towards it. In Texas, you know, the, the main history we get before, like, 
high school sophomore year is like Texas history. And let me tell you, there's one thing I do not give two shits about. It's, it's Texas, Texas history. history. <laughs> um, so I just wasn't ever like really interested in it. Nothing. I didn't just have an opportunity to like learn about it. Um, uh, I mean, my favorite show as a kid was uh, the Magic School Bus. So like, Heck yeah. I was like into like school and stuff, but I just, history just wasn't taught. Um, it really so, wasn't, and now I'm getting angry about it. I'm realizing that you're right. Yeah. Seventh grade Texas history was the worst history class yeah. I've ever taken, and that's including that one class you had to take in undergrad, and I think you know what we're talking about. Ooh. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. I mean, technically, I think you are supposed to get, like, American history in eighth grade, but I went to a weird, like, Montessori middle school, and we didn't have that great of a teacher. So our history was, like, really jumbled, and it's – too much to explain right now, but uh, I didn't get a really good history education until probably I was in world history in high school. Loved my world history teacher. And then junior year, so I was a sophomore, we're both world history. And then my junior year, I really, really, really started to enjoy history. And I started to notice that in myself. Um, and I had the world's best. I mean, I know a lot of people love their um, AP US history teachers. I guess it doesn't have to be AP, but like, I feel like AP U.S. history teachers in particular yeah. have, like, at least in my experience, like, all my friends are, like, or most of my friends are, like, oh, mine was so great, but my... I'm going to be fair here and say that my school, the AP teachers were qualified historians who had degrees, mm. and a lot of the on-level stuff was taught by, like, coaches yeah. and stuff, and so I'm going to be fair and say here that, like... I think people that have training in education or history know yeah. how to make it a little more entertaining. But also, I think Texas is the only state that requires a state history course, which is so insane. Texas is so full of itself. I know. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it's not that interesting. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, it's really not worth is, spending a whole year on. But no, it is not. Like, I guess that's why they give it to about, seventh graders. <laughs> yeah, like, how many times can I hear about Sam Houston? I know. And the Alamo. And hear incorrect things with the Alamo. <laughs> no one outside of the state cares about the Alamo. Listen, we know what Davy Crockett said, okay? We get it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so my AP US history teacher was an absolute gem of a human being. He was so nice, so caring. He really made you, like, he wasn't, I mean, his teaching style wasn't, like, very passionate, mm -hmm. but the way he taught just really made you invested and, like, present and willing to learn. Um, but, yeah, I never really had, like, a big, like, event in history that I was interested in. I always did kind of have a thing for, like, period pieces and stuff like that. I mean, my favorite movies when I was growing up were kind of period pieces, so I always enjoyed the aesthetics. I'll just put it that way. I mean, who doesn't? Um, <laughs> True. Um, but, yeah, so... In my um, A-Push class, we had... Um, so my teacher also taught on-level kids, um, which is not anything wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with on-level. Yeah, there's really Absolutely not. not. I was just a giant nerd and hated myself. Junior year was awful because okay. I took all those AP classes. And I think it needs to be said in case we ever have a viewer, viewer outside of America, the American school system... As someone who has experienced it recently, is kind of effed up. Oh, very. And um, there's a huge stigma, especially where I grew up. I don't know about you, but where I grew up, there are a lot of like doctors and lawyers, and their kids are expected to be like AP, top of the class, mm. and it creates a brutally competitive environment. Yeah. That it's in that there's a stigma. Like if you didn't take the AP class, no one said it, but like 
you weren't as good. I ended up doing all AP through high school. Yeah. Trust me, I did not need AP. I did not need to try to do AP math because I suck at math. And yeah. I think there's this unhealthy, like, yeah. if you can't do it, you you suck. Yeah. So fortunately, I did not grow up in that kind of competitive environment. In fact, everyone who was like in AP was just really good friends with each other. And I think ultimately that's why I just ended up taking AP mm-hmm. because, um, like, my school district, the way it worked was, like, every feeder school went into the high school. So, like, people knew each other. And they had known each other from, like, first grade. And I came to this high school as a ninth grader uh, being like, hey, guys. So, I found, like, my friend group in AP and I just stuck with it. Um, and a lot of the pressure I experienced in high school, I definitely put on myself. Like, not even my parents were like, you need to do this. They were just like, okay, you want to do that? And I appreciate that for them. But anyway, I digress. Um, so... He was, yeah, like I said, he was, Mr. C was an amazing history teacher. Um, And I had Mr. C in one of his later periods. Um, And this was kind of towards the middle end of the year. We, um, oh, I guess I should introduce what I'm talking about. I'm talking about McCarthyism and the second Red (laughs) Scare in America. So post-World War II, beginning of Cold War, um, that era, uh, specifically McCarthyism. And I'll explain why in a minute. So... Um, we're kind of, you know, nearing the end of what this class covers and, um, we're in class one day and this kid walks in and he was from, uh, one of my teacher's morning classes. Actually, I think it was first period. This kid walks in and it's very clear that he was just on another plane of existence. He was just (laughs) zooted. (laughs) For lack of a better term. I don't um, know. Okay, that's the lot. I have seen someone high in school before. <laughs> um, he, yeah, he walked in thinking it was first period. Definitely wasn't first period. So my teacher stopped his, you know, lecture. It's like, hey, what, did you forget something? Like, what's going on? And the kid just kind of stood there and he was like, it's, it's third period now. Go to your third period class. And the kid was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so he turns around and leaves. Like two minutes later, comes back in, still thinking it's first period. Oh my God. <laughs> um, so at that point, you know, unfortunately, being a teacher, Mr. C did have to go deal with this. And this is where the story really begins. Before he left his class, he handed his notes for his lecture and the clicker to the PowerPoint and said to me and said, Here, Kaylee, teach the class. And then walked out of the door. And I was like, okay I was good at history and he told me several times that like he he thought I should be a history teacher he knew I was good at it and he could see that I had like a really like strong skill in it and a passion for it but the thing is he was covering McCarthyism who knows what McCarthyism actually is who to this day I don't know a single person who knows what McCarthyism is <laughs> and they didn't have this happen to them so I literally was like st- standing at the I guess I like went up to the class I was like hey y'all <laughs> Uh, and I wanted to, like, click through at least, like, one or two things to, like, show that I maybe actually tried. Um, but this man was so smart that his notes consisted of, like, one sentence. And his PowerPoint slides were just pictures. So hmm. I literally was, like, I read his one sentence and it was about McCarthyism. And to this day, do not understand what McCarthyism is. Actually, I guess to last night. Oh, did not yeah. understand what McCarthyism was. Um, 
But yeah, so that like was a key event in my history because that was really the first time that he went out of his way to tell me, you're good at this. I trust you to teach this and I want to encourage this in you. And that's a call for anyone who becomes a teacher. Like if there's a student who's good at something, tell them. It's like, you know, everyone knows how encouraging it is, but like, just don't be afraid to say it. You don't know when it's going to inspire someone to like, Mm-hmm. And there was several times where he, uh, he like, kind of reiterated that. And when I finally, because I did come into college undecided as well, but when I finally caved and just committed to history because, I guess, it was inevitable, I went back and visited the high school, and I told him, and he was like, why are you telling me? He was like, I already know. <laughs> he was like, he looked me dead in the eyes and was like, I told you. <laughs> and I, I was like, mm. <laughs> settle on history like a semester before I did and I think I saw your course list and I was like wait this isn't like Texas history or anything like this is this is cool like yeah kind of held out a little longer than I did but it just eventually happened to both of us I was just stubborn about thinking I was good enough to be in theater (laughs) (laughs) that's all it was listen our theater department is notoriously hard to transfer into so don't take it personally um they missed out on my costuming skills they did they could have used you (laughs) Um, okay, so I guess let's jump into McCarthyism. Um, to start, in honor of the high school story, I will be starting how any good high school history essay starts with a definition. <laughs> so, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines McCarthyism as a, quote, mid-20th century political attitude characterized chiefly by opposition to elements held to be subversive and by the use of tactics involving personal attacks on individuals by means of widely publicized indiscriminate allegations, especially on the basis of unsubstantiated claims. All of that is to say, all of those really big words, unnecessarily big words, um, this guy McCarthy was running around calling everyone and their dog communists, (laughs) widely unfounded, uh, like with like maybe oh they got like a red letter in their inbox or their mailbox one day um, they're like ah it's a communist it's like actually no this was a Christmas card but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah so all of that is to say this is what's happening right now um, and before I get into the meat of this so McCarthyism is kind of the big guy in this second red scare that hit the United States um, post World War II beginning of the Cold War. However, not everything that I mention is directly caused by him. There were some other big notable f- uh, figures like J. Edgar, J. Edgar Hoover, with, who was leading the FBI at the time. Um, and then there was also like a House committee. Um, it's called the House of Un-American Activities Committee, um, which, Ameri- which is insane that exists. Being American has to have a set <laughs> parameter. Yeah. Um, so all of these things were happening at once. Um, it gets kind of confusing on what McCarthy is directly responsible for. I'll try to differentiate as much as I can, but just as a kind of, you know, to set up what's happening now, because I wanted to find McCarthyism and explain what it is, but it, it doesn't exist outside of this, um, situation that it is in. So, um, of course... Um, this was not even our first Red Scare in America. The or, or the first Red Scare was kind of taking place um, both during and after World War One. Uh, that's not what we're talking about today, so I'm not going to get into great detail about that. But just know that it happened. There have been some anti-communist or anti-left of center movements in America for for a long time, basically since 
left-leaning, quote-unquote, countries uh, popped up around the world. And it might be good to note that, like, the, there was a lot going on in England, too. I th- yeah. I'm, I'm going off my knowledge of Peaky Blinders here, people. Um, <laughs> I apologize, but, like... IRA. IRA. <laughs> but also, like, that also feeds into, like, the stuff that Hitler also, like... Yeah. Him he, just claiming that communism they were and the, Jews and like, yeah. it, it's like this whole mass hysteria. Yeah. Which is why for a long time I thought that the Red Scare and hysteria was actually about the Salem witch trials. <laughs> yeah. And so it's basically older. a witch hunt. Like, it is. Like there was a real witch hunt and then there was this figurative witch hunt, which was probably worse than the real one. I yeah. mean, no one died as far as I know. Well, maybe the CIA. The CIA definitely took out some people, <laughs> but but we're not going to get into that today. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's just kind of set the scene. Actually, during the 1930s and 40s, there was a small but active American Communist Party that formed, particularly in the light of the Great Depression. This party's main focus was, was unionizing workers, um, as a lot of communist parties are. Um, apparently, there was some, quote, anarchist activity. I could not find any um, information on what that uh, included. But I think the main thing was that they were just trying to unionize the people. Say, it's just um, for anti, not yeah. capitalism. Maybe they like I don't know walked out during lunch one day of their like factory job and they're like, oh my god, these anarchists. We can. <laughs> um, so yeah, so getting into the late forties, um, we do have a growing threat to America, quote unquote, of Soviet Russia. Because, you know, allies in the war, but not really, they weren't really friends, but they just kind of worked together. (laughs) Now they hate each other. They don't like each other. Um, And then what really sets this off is um, the growing communist movement in China, which did exist, uh, eventually succeed in creating the Chinese Communist Party and establishing the People's Republic of China, I believe, in 1941. Um, so both of those events prompted, um, the United States to enter into a second Red Scare. Um, and so this rising paranoia led to targeting anyone red in America because it came this mass hysteria of like, oh my God, they're infiltrating American and anyone This basically, they went after anyone left of center. Um, even if you were to the Bernie Sanders, I mean, people call him a communist today, but really, but the Bernie Sanders of the 1950s would have been kicked out of the country. Yeah. Like, um, put him on a ship and his little mittens and his coat and just <laughs> set him on his merry way. Not on, not on the Titanic though. <laughs> um, so they became, just because they were close to home, uh, they became some of the first targets of the New Red Scare and the fact that there were some American Communist Party members that did spy for the Soviets during World War II, even though the U.S. and Soviet Russia were allies. I'm kind of confused about that, but apparently there was some spying going on, but I guess that's just... When has there not been? Like, I you know, know. I guess it's just the norms. The CIA, I feel like they... Don't trust the CIA. They're gonna. They're listening that. right now. They're really <laughs> listening, and they're gonna make this public. But like, I don't know. After MK Ultra and all this other stuff, I'm like, I, I, uh, 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 I was listening. <laughs> um. So of course that just added fuel to the fire, and suddenly everyone on your street corner, down the hall, anyone could have been a communist. Um. Much like anyone can be an Antifa today, but we're not gonna get into that. Um. <laughs> Including the people who stormed the Capitol, they were definitely Antifa. Uh, <laughs> I will punch you in the face. Uh, that's embarrassing. Um, I don't actually believe that. That was a joke, by the way. Just to be clear. <laughs> okay. Um, so, 
uh, in the late 40s, um, as I mentioned before, J. Edgar Hoover was the director of the FBI this time. He also probably did just as much, maybe not quite as much as McCarthy did, but he definitely played a key role in kind of creating this mass hysteria. Um, so he began screening government employees for communism, whatever that means. Um, so basically, I think they just had to be questioned um, and prove that they didn't, they weren't involved in communist activities and they didn't know anyone who was involved in communist activities. And because this is America, that same screening process and kind of concern over, oh my God, my employers are going to be communists, did uh, move on to thousands of employers who kind of adopted this process in virtually all industries of America. Um, there was also in the House um, of Congress, there was, uh, like I mentioned before, there was a House of Un-American Activities Committee, which was formed. Um, and they, they were tasked with kind of um, regulating and making sure that these communists were kind of um, sought out and uh, brought to justice because, oh my God, wanting workers' rights is something that needs to have jail time for. Um, so just as a little fun fact, here are some of the things that could prove that you were a communist, according to these people. Um, if you had a diverse social circle, Oof. definitely a communist. If you signed any anti-nuclear weapon petitions, heaven forbid, definitely a communist. And this, I think, is the most telling. If you hung modern art on your walls, <laughs> definitely a communist. Um, so, you know, all that is to say, people literally were just living their lives and being accused of being communist. Um, so all of this is kind of the context that McCarthy was working in and what kind of Fueled, rules, really. fueled his um, passion for his witch hunt that he committed. So Joseph McCarthy was a Wisconsin Republican senator from 1947 to 1957. Um, but his main years of, quote, activity were 1950 to 1954. Um, so McCarthy first entered the limelight or was first considered notable in regard to his campaign against um, people in the left was during a speech in 1950, which he claimed that he had a list, a physical list of 205 quote-unquote communists that were currently working in the State Department. And of course, everyone was like, oh my gosh, he's a senator, so he's already, you know, oh, I trust this guy. Um, and they're working in the State Department. That's supposed to be American. They've infiltrated us. Um, of these 205 people, there was literally not a single one that was proven to actually have communist ties. Um, and in fact, he even um, earned um, President Eisenhower's disapproval. Um, and he, Eisenhower basically said, he didn't say it officially, but he said to a staff member that he didn't want to be dragged down with this guy. And so even the president of the United States as early as 1950 is like this guy is crazy you know what it makes me think of hmm. that parks and rec episode where the venezuelan dignitaries <laughs> and he's like it, it's basically like hanging modern wall art jail right to jail literally that's not being it. american right to jail having <laughs> yeah. friends not the same race as you we're straight to jail <laughs> um so but despite you know uh, this claim being of 205 communists and literally the president disapproving of him. In 1953, 
McCarthy was put in charge of the Committee of Government Operations. Why? Why would you give that man that job? <laughs> Who gave him that job? I have no idea. Uh, whatever. I did not make those the choices back then, and neither did any woman back then. So Ooh. that's probably why. And um, <laughs> um, so this, of course, enabled him to even grow even more in his tirade. And of course, over the last, you know, 1950 to 1953, he was, of course, accusing people of communists left and right. But this appointment gave him the power to actually, like, uphold official hearings um, and actually, like, do something about it. Um, well, try as he might. Um, so during his two years at the head of this committee, he conducted hundreds of hearings where he very basically verbally abuse people and accuse of them of asking or of being a communist and basically working for the Russians. Um, and he would ask very invasive questions about every part of their lives because, oh my God, if their second neighbor's cousin <laughs> twice removed in the farm was uh, maybe went to Russia one time, then that person was definitely a communist. So, um, and actually, there are some official transcripts released by the Senate. Um, you can just Google those. But they have released um, 160 hours of interview transcripts uh, from these hearings that you can go peruse at your leisure. Um, I'm sure a lot of them are, like, a lot of, like, logistic stuff because it is the government. But um, there's probably a highlight reel or two on YouTube that you can There's only into. one thing I want 160 hours of, and it's extended Harry Potter content. <laughs> um... <laughs> So, um, uh, yeah, so fun fact, McCarthy was usually the only senator president at these hearings, which I think says a lot because even his coworkers are like, yeah, this guy's a joke. I'm not going to go in there with him. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was kind of 1953 to 1954. Uh, he spent most of his time doing that. And actually in 1954, which um, articles quote, as both the peak and the beginning of the end for him, he aired 36 straight days of hearings um, where he would do these interrogations um, on live television. And um, the reason why it was the beginning of the end for him was because during these hearings, it's when he began to, um, <laughs> if you believe him, uncover this conspiracy that the army was being infiltrated by communists um someone pulled a reverse uno card on him. <laughs> um, and considering the time uh which was quite literally during the korean war not a great time to be dissing the military um <laughs> so he had just kind of really gone off the deep end at this point um he accused several um army military members of being communists but the one i found most interesting was there was this dentist I guess he just worked um, for the army as a dentist. <laughs> I don't know. His most notable characteristic was that he was a dentist. And <laughs> he did not um, want to answer the screening questions. Um, but the army went ahead and, and uh, uh, promoted. promoted him despite that. And so that was enough for McCarthy to say, oh, my God, the whole army is full of communists. Um, and, of course completely unfounded and that eventually this new campaign against the military which would eventually earn him his official censor from the senate which basically made him powerless um to actually do anything um he was basically deplatformed 
which was promised honestly for the best. Um, it just sounds like fear mongering. Yeah, it really was. And he played off of a lot of things. And I think he was really just trying to stay in the limelight as much as possible, which explains literally being on live TV. He wanted his name out there. Definitely a narcissist. Um, but the final nail in McCarthy's co- coffin was a television editorial written by journalist Edward R. Murrow, which would eventually earn him some award or something. Um, That basically exposed the senator for what he really was, which was a crazed man. Um, McCarthy died in 1957 at uh, 49, so not very long after all of this happened. Um, His cause of death apparently was something related to hepatitis, but I thought that was... um, Someone got assassinated. can't make the government look bad um but yeah so that officially ended his um reign of terror if you will um but um in the end um around 2,000 government employees just government employees lost their job because of mccarthy's accusations um and that's not even to mention how many people in the private sector were affected by um this kind of craze um that he definitely helped uh created um, in fact, I do have a list of a few of these um, people in the private sector, and these are um, some directly because of McCarthy, and then some just from the time period. Uh, um, Jagger Hoover was involved in a lot of these cases. Um, the first one, uh, notable name, Charlie Chaplin. Um, he was apparently just left-leaning, and um, the FBI basically decided that he should be kicked out of the country. <laughs> And even though they really couldn't kick him out of the country, he did have to eventually go to London for one of his movies and was not permitted to come back to um, America. I feel like it's a really bad PR thing on their part because Charlie Chaplin was is like, a famous the, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. The funny man. Like yeah. America just booted him out. Well, I mean, to be fair, they had all of America on the side because they were like, well, if the FBI is saying he's a communist, True. Then he must be a communist. Um, so even... Hoover even had MI5 spy on Chaplin, but even they said, no, this guy is not a security risk. He just is like, as they said, a left-leaning progressive. Um, But again, definitely a communist uh, if you were anywhere left of center. Um, Eventually, Chaplin did release a statement. He was... um, He said that he had been the subject of lies and propaganda by powerful reactionary groups who by their influence and by the aid of America's yellow press have created an unhealthy atmosphere in which liberal-minded individuals can be signed out and persecuted. And he says that he was basically unable to continue with his um, uh, his motion picture work. So I think, and he did give up his residence in the United States. So that's, um, that's really sad to see like an American icon go that way. Um, another big name was Langston Hughes, the Harlem Renaissance poet. Um, he was known for his support of the Communist Party or, or of communist groups in America, but he was never officially um, a member of one. And um, he was always very vocally political in his poetry. Um, and he actually, I think, has a really powerful thing to say with why he never was an official um, Communist Party member. It was that he was communist or he would have these left-leaning views based on purely life experience which i think is really relevant to why a lot of people are like kind of more going left nowadays because it's not based in theory we're not reading marx we're living our lives and we're thinking there has to be a better way Mm -hmm. and i think that's why so many people now are like no i relate to these principles 
Um, which I think it, it tie. That's a problem I think in modern society is that people hear words like communism or something and they relate it back to this long mm-hmm. history of like red scare of communism is terrifying or something like that. Yeah. When I think a lot of today's left of the center principles would not align at all with these older principles. Yeah. Like, but these are updated. Yeah. yeah. And so using those words implies like we believe this person's theory. We believe yeah. Marxism or something like that. When, when in reality, a lot of our views have shifted. I mean, we don't, I mean, we still need labor unions. There are some yeah. things that still exist. Like people need to be able to have some sort of security, especially in times like COVID where people are losing their jobs left and right. And there's not protections for them. Like it, it's all, it's cyclical, but I think, mm-hmm that whole concept of like you said under like coming from a personal experience instead of yeah. the actual red theory is mm-hmm. difficult because you get labeled as associated with a theory when you're like no I just want a better life for myself yeah. and other people who are in this position yeah and um not to say that there's like a whole lot wrong with theory but I'm sorry Karl oh, Marx yeah. was not living in the 21st century oh no he has no idea where things like industry technology anything would end up and it's just outdated. And, you know, that's with any historian writing or anyone in history writing. But, you know, it is what it is. But I think it speaks a lot to say that, like, someone was like, no, this is purely out of my own life experience. Yeah. That this is why I'm choosing these views. Um, Mad respect. Yeah. And actually, Langston Hughes was one of the ones that McCarthy went after. He actually did have to testify before the Senate um, to defend himself um, and the House of Un-American Committee. Um, and... Uh, unfortunately, um, while he never faced any real like punishment or anything, he was um, he did become notice- noticeably less political in his daily life and in his writing. Um, another fun one was Orson Welles, the director. If you are familiar with the movie Citizen Kane from 1941, it shows what uh, the FBI believed to depict a quote um, idealistic social servant that grows into a power-hungry and manipulative capitalist, unquote. And that was enough for the FBI to be like, this guy is definitely a communist. <laughs> um, so uh, he, and oh, and then they also believed that it was, the film was nothing but a smear campaign orchestrated by the Communist Party. Um, and <laughs> he was such a, a such apparently of a national um, threat that he was uh, added to a list of people that should be apprehended in case of national emergency. <laughs> um, really? Yes. Oh my uh, God. Wells, knowing that he was facing this persecution, left the States in 1948 um, and moved to Europe. I don't blame him. The next one is Leonard Bernstein, the composer. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> he also had to testify. Uh, did he have to testify? No, he did not. But he quotes, he has a quote saying, I am not now or at any time have ever been a member of the Communist Party. Um, honest Warren affidavit. Um, but the FBI was still not convinced. Um, and again, he was blacklisted and uh, he was um, not allowed to re-enter the United States. Um, but he did, he was a vocal supporter of protesters of the Vietnam War and um, the Black Panthers. So cool guy, honestly. 
Um, and the the Vietnam War, especially, was highly contested anyway. So if you're using that yeah. as your foundation for he's a communist, like you've got a lot more communists, buddy. Well, I mean that's enough for them. I mean, again, modern art, cat. <laughs> right. Jackson um, Pollock was really yeah really going that communist route, and his little splatters. Mm-hmm. There's actually um, you can see communist codes written out. Yeah, well, he used drops. red paint. So oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, how could. <laughs> Um, so I think, I believe that Leonard Bernstein was followed for, like, decades after, oh. yeah, by the FBI and was kept tabs on. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think I'm getting that right. That's yes. Um, and then um, the last one I'm going to mention, there was a lot more, but the last one I'm going to mention, just because I feel like five is a good number, <laughs> was Lena Horne. Um, she was an actress, and um, she was... Um, very politically active. Uh, she definitely had friends and uh, went to events that were related <laughs> to communism. So, so not as unfounded as some of the other ones. But unfortunately, she was blacklisted from Hollywood, lost her career, and basically was forced to tour as a nightclub singer. Which is really sad because she was very talented. Um, and... Uh, uh, but actually, and she never backed down and... The civil rights movement of the 60s, Horn was still a prominent and um, active supporting member of that movement, which was really wow. cool. Good for her. That props. Yeah. Don't the man get you down. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, all of those things happened. There was a bunch more, of course, government members, more. Those are just, you know, no one knows the name of government members. <laughs> but, like, really popular actors. So, like, this really was, you know, anyone and everyone was just left and right being targeted. I mean, all Orson Welles did was direct a movie which they had to make a point i mean this might be controversial to say but citizen kane was just okay (laughs) um but it was enough to get him banned or something but really pissed off some film majors here (laughs) i live to piss off film majors (laughs) (laughs) um but despite his extremely tireless efforts not a single person mccarthy ever interrogated faced any jail time for anything related to anything the admission in these trials anything they admitted in these trials um, which I think is just hilarious. He literally just wasted, um, like, the last few years of his life. Yeah, unfortunately, most of the people he did interview, um, if they refused to answer questions or whatnot, lost jobs and stuff over that. So they were affected, mm. but they never did. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're guilty. Um, it just, yeah. you know, it was, it sucked, but uh, they never faced, they never actually did anything. People were just dumb and believed McCarthy. Um <laughs> Um, and actually because of how intense and insane these hearings were, this prompted the Supreme Court to provide more rights for people being questioned in these Senate hearings, which is great. We love that. Yeah. Um, and although McCarthy died over 60, 60 years ago, his legacy lives on. Like I said, people were followed for decades by the FBI um, after their initial accusations um, and, you know, in our current political climate, I think it's really important to understand phenomenons like McCarthyism. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we haven't seen anything quite the scale that this was at. But I think with this growing fear of the left and growing accusations of everyone being Antifa, we just really need to watch out for these kind of things because we can't let another Joseph McCarthy kind of seize america and i mean we know it'll that be fair there's fear i think on both sides of a political spectrum mm-hmm. right now about different things and a lot of them are misinformation and stuff like i'll yeah. i'll be fair in that part but i i agree you gotta well learn. i mean 
I don't know. I, I know you're trying to be, like, equitable to both sides, but I do see, like, white see supremacist, extreme right-wing yeah. as definitely worse than communist. <laughs> you know what? I kind of do, too. I'm not going to lie. Yes. If you're storming public uh, places. It's not even just doing that. If you're shooting up synagogues yeah. and yeah, stuff no. like that. And, yeah. Um, there's definitely more to be afraid of. Than, yeah. Like a more just one's more of yeah. a threat to yeah. Um, yeah. American history, but I definitely American yeah. society. But you know, um, I just think it's something to be aware of. And I wanted to bring it up now mm-hmm. because of how important it was. The story was in my life. I finally got to learn about McCarthyism. Um, crazy guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also because it kind of was, uh, it just is... It's relevant. I feel like it's relevant. It and is. worthy of mention in and our current climate. There's that ongoing but, joke that, like, historians, like, like other... Like, what is it? Like, you're doomed to repeat the past if you don't learn it, and historians are doomed to watch everyone else repeat it, because mm-hmm. it's a small number. Like, let's be real. Historians make up a small number. People who are... And there's not... I'm not saying there's people that aren't knowledgeable about history, but people who know history and make their own opinions and go, hey, this happened. I see it happening again. And they make those connections. Yeah. It's it's even fewer far between. So, like, yeah. if... Like, that's... This is a call to action. Like, be educated <laughs> about history and be aware yeah. of, like, what happens next yeah. in history. And the things we've fallen into before mm-hmm. and how, you know, that can affect... There is that quote... I mean, obviously, the history repeats itself is iconic, but then there's a quote that I think puts it even better was, like, history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. Yes. Because we've never seen two events happen the exact same way. Right. But we have seen events that have clearly happened before and something very similar happen. Mm -hmm. And it could be prevented if someone just knew about the original event. Yeah. Um, And so I think that's kind of, you know, important to both of us. But, yeah. um, Definitely. Yeah, it's definitely yeah. really important to both of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, just being educated in general is important to both of us. Yeah. And, you know, not to say that only a few people can be educated. Anyone can be educated. And that's yeah. why we made this podcast. We want we want to make history it. to be more accessible because we don't want to run into this problem anymore where people don't know. Yeah. Oh, my God, be, this has happened before. It should be yeah. fun, but serious. Because that's, an, that's I'll, I'll be clear, that's a very big bias of mine. Like, when I see alt-right stuff happening and, like, extremism... Mm-hmm it's it's not comparable because of the Holocaust and World War II and everything were such huge moments in history that I, I pray that we never experience again. Um, but I'm not going to say that there weren't times when my brain was like, wait, we've seen something like this happen yeah. before. Or the messages that terrorists leave behind or their manifestos have ringing similarities to stuff that's happened before. So mm-hmm. I do come up from a bias that very much believes yeah. you can stop this stuff, but you have to know what you're looking for. Yeah, exactly. But that's a dark turn. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> to end on that lovely note. Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's. We should end on a lighter note. Do we want like a random? Oh my god. I have a book on my coffee table that says "Contrary to Popular Belief," and it's it's a book of Do random. It. Facts. Open to a random page. Okay. Cut. Um. Here, tell me when to stop. Stop. Okay. Oh, that was long. Yeah. <laughs> stop. Oh, it's long again. Okay. Um. Oh, this is kind of iconic. This little fact to debunk facts says, Franklin Roosevelt said these famous words, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself, in his 1933 inaugural address, but the idea was first expressed in the Hebrew Bible as be not afraid of sudden terror. In 1580 CE, Michael de Montaigne wrote in his essays, the thing I fear most is fear. And in 1623, Francis Bacon, ooh, wrote it in De Augmentis Science Talium. 
I don't know what the hell that accent was. I, I don't know either. That was something you did. And he said, nothing <laughs> is terrible for fear itself. And in 1851, Henry, Henry David Thoreau wrote the same thing. Oh, let's debunk it then. Franklin Roosevelt was not the first one to say it, guys. You still, heard it here. Still a great quote, though. <laughs> yeah, it is. But you heard it here from a book by Joey Green that is on my coffee table. So, <laughs> All right, Joey. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, Joey. Um, yeah, so if you'd like to get in contact, um, our Gmail is this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. You can reach out to us there. Um, we're also we're on Twitter at our initials, so T-I-N-A-H-L, podcast. Um, that's going to be our username. And I, um, the fact that we're listing off, like, reach it, like, Twitter handles for this makes me a little, like, <laughs> I know, this is so weird. I, I'm i so sorry. We we oh. hopefully will get used to this. Yeah. We, it might take us a while, but. We literally started planning this, like, last year, mm-hmm. and we've just been, like, mulling it over, trying to get close to the concept, but I actually feel a little better at about it. Just feeling okay first with, one. Yeah, I feel like we, I mean, I enjoyed our stories. This and was I hope fun. other people do, too. Yeah, but, it was fun. I just um, gotta stop. Um, 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 uh, <laughs> Yeah. I'll organize my notes better next time. Yeah, it's a learning process, and uh, thank you for bearing with us if you're still here. Um, we really appreciate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Awesome. Tune well, in next time. How often did we say we were going to update? We I think we're going to do every two weeks just because our schedules. That's are right. So busy. Yeah. Grad students, guys. Yeah. Have some mercy. Maybe in the future we can switch to a one week, but yeah. for now this is what we're comfortable with. Maybe we'll release like mini segments yeah. like every other week or something like that. That's yeah. something for us to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if you'll like this at all. And if yeah. so, we'll, yeah. Continue. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, well, thanks for listening. Tune yeah. in next time for not a lecture. This is not a history lecture. Yeah. No, I meant like not, you won't be getting a lecture. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. But no, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Tune well, in next time for this. Do is, not hear yeah, a lecture. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.